1: You are listening to Nakedly Examined Music, a podcast about songs and songwriters. My name is Mark Lintzenmaier. My guest for episode 135 is Peter Milton Walsh, the man behind the Australian band The Apartments. You're right now listening to Help from his debut 1979 EP, Return of the Hypnotist. Peter also played with The Go-Betweens for a little bit around this time. He played with a few other bands in the early 80s. ...and The Apartments released their first full-length album in 1985... ...as well as subsequent singles like The Shyest Time... ...used for the 1987 John Hughes film Some Kind of Wonderful... ...they really got going recording-wise in the 90s... ...releasing four albums between 92 and 97... ...but then he had a personal family tragedy... ...basically retired from music for a long time... ...starting back up again around 2011... And issuing a really notable 2015 album, No Song, No Spell, No Madrigal, that grew out of that time of tragedy. And he's now come out with a new album, In and Out of the Light. We'll be discussing what's beauty to do and where you used to be from that album. Then looking back to the 1996 album Fête Rain" with the song Sunset Hotel and concluding by listening to a song from that 2015 No Song, No Spell, No Madrigal, Looking for Another Town. For more information, please see theapartments-music.com. For more about this podcast, please see nakedlyexaminedmusic.com. And I would love your support for this project at patreon.com nakedlyexaminedmusic playing Help from Return of the Hypnotist EP. We're going to get very quickly to the new album. Of course, that's a many year jump. I don't know, is there any stylistic consistency that you hear from what you're doing now, from all the way back then? I don't,
2: but we've got a track that I hope we might play called What's Beauty to Do. Yep. I recorded this album like completely remotely. I was in Sydney, Natasha, she lives in Lille on the Belgian border. Nick, the drummer, lives in London. Antoine lives in Tours, which is two hours south of Paris. So everything was done remotely. But when I first sent it to Antoine, who's the guitarist one, he said, Oh, this has the vibe of the first department CP.
3: There
2: you go. (laughs) I thought, Well, this is fantastic. It's taken me forty two years to repeat myself. (laughs) Help, I wrote at the summer of seventy eight. It was the first apartments and we were playing around Brisbane. The first apartments only lasted a year. It was me on guitar singing, another guy, Michael O'Connell, on guitar and, and singing as well. Guy on bass who was a drug dealer I knew from high school and the drummer was a guy who turned up for our first audition and I said, do you like Hal Blaine? And he immediately did the lick to Be My Baby. And I just thought, oh, this guy's great.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And it possibly would never have mattered
2: if he couldn't play anything else as long as he could go, boom, 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 (laughs) boom. You know, that was good by me.
1: Yeah, so it definitely does have a kind of 80s Smiths sort of vibe to it. What came first? Lyrics, music? How do you generally write here?
2: They mix themselves up. Somebody asked Dick Rogers one time, and he'd had the question so many times, he was ready for it, you know, like, what comes first? The music or the lyrics, and Dick Rogers said, the check. With me, they just vary. Sometimes I'll have a title lying around or I'll just have a bunch of lines lying around and then suddenly I'll be playing something and they all fit. It's a roll of the dice, usually, and I figure if I were a more disciplined person, I might have worked out by now how I do it, but I don't really, it's still benign mystery. I think why Antoine had suggested that that, song What's Beauty To Do sounds like the first apartment's EP, which, yeah, as I say, was 1978. We recorded it in 1979, is that I'm playing a jazz master. And so it's, you know, it's something like it's as simple as that. The sound of the guitars is my old guitar sound from when I was a child.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't start with a, a verse. It starts with I'm going to say the refrain, because it's not even a whole long chorus. It's just a a line, really. This is the thing. This is the catchy thing. We're giving you it right up front, you know, as soon as we get a little bit of instrumental intro.
3: Yeah,
2: those sorts of things, arrangement-wise. Probably I just decided at the last minute that's what I would do. There are other tracks on the album where I actually said, no, we'll kill this, we'll throw this out. This is how we'll start it. We're not going to start it that way. But with that one, I think it was pretty organic. I think I just definitely wanted to come in with that was your special gift as an opening line.
1: So it's in second person. Is this one of those talking to yourself things? I don't want to make you confess anything about the meaning of lyrics that you don't feel comfortable with. I'm just wondering about the writing technique here. You know, is this a particular situation, an imagined situation? Who are you talking to here?
2: I would acknowledge only that I have had a special gift of, <laughs> of getting good things and making a mess at them, but I'm not the only one. I know so many people who are the same way. And with this particular batch of songs, what I found was I just had a set of characters. Some of them even kind of visit one another in different songs, and they just sort of float around. I was absolutely not doing story songs you know i was not doing let's start at a and proceed through to d and conclusion blah blah i didn't want to do a linear kind of story thing i've I've done those in the past i just wanted a much more impressionistic thing and you know i think what was happening with that song was that i think it was like the second last or maybe it was the last song We were in the studio and I'm just going into the studio. You know, it was a very casual situation. It was a couple of hours a day. The guy lived near me, the guy who owned the studio, lived nearby. So it was like neighbourhood thing. He had children that he needed to pick up at a certain time from school. So, you know, we'd have short days. And I would go in there and, you know, you're walking out of this sort of sunlit world of winter in Sydney. Into the Darkness, the lamp-lit world of the studio. And the world was like in complete chaos, some of it to do with the climate emergency and insanity of Trump, democracy everywhere, like just on life support. And I just thought, you know, there was a certain sense of what am I doing, you know, making another record, you know, what do I do that's worthwhile? And it was almost like my own response to that was, well, this is the only thing that I can do. You know, I'm involved in all sorts of resistances that everybody everybody else is involved in. But, you know, as far as like talents go, I don't have many talents, but I've always tried to create with my albums and records you know something beautiful and i do think that that is something that works for people to the people who listen to the apartments
1: so it seems like you're asking this rhetorical question what's beauty to do in the face of all the tragedy all the problems of the world and answering it but it doesn't seem like you're satisfied with the answer <laughs> It's a light in the dark, but makes nothing happen, doesn't save anyone, yet happiness happens again. There's a role for art. It doesn't actually solve problems, but it's a nice companion while you're suffering. <laughs> That's
2: right. I think to ask
1: much more of a song, you know, like I could
2: never do a directly political song. I don't have that kind of talent either. At the times they are a change, and I don't know that that was an activist song in any way anyway. It's almost like doing this for the sake of doing it, and yeah, it makes nothing happen. So what? This is not its purpose. you know, we're not on some activist mission here. It's just to create something
1: beautiful. Oh you just play the beginning. we, we talked about the refrain, the beginning of the first verse here Another way to live.
3: What's to do In the face of it. All.
1: So just the fact that you don't have a gap at all between the end of the chorus and then immediately just comes in there and it's this soaring thing. What's your philosophy of vocal takes? Like, it sounds like this was not the eighth take. This sounds like that you're pretty off the cuff, try to make it as live as possible.
2: That's exactly right. And that's precisely how I wanted to go into this Recording. I made an album five years ago called No Song, No Spell, No Madrigal, and I did it with another fantastic producer, Wayne Connolly, and I had first spoken to Wayne about recording. I did a French tour in 2012 and I was looking for a guitarist and someone suggested, oh, why don't you see if Wayne's interested? And Wayne ended up coming with me to France and we got a pickup band there and toured for a while, and Wayne, during the course of that tour, you know, in the back of the bus, said, how do you normally work in the studio? And I said, well, I'm, I like, like first or second takes. And he said, have you ever tried anything different? And I said, no. And he said, uh, you know, I think you should try it out sometime. It often pays off. And then I wasn't thinking about making a record, and then ultimately I got around to seeing if the bunch of songs that I had lying around were any good and I'd never played them to anyone, you know, and I had no perspective on them. So I thought, oh, here's a guy, you know, he's produced over 300 albums. He listens to songs and demos and people trying to get him to produce all the time. He'll have some sort of perspective on this. So I got him over and I just sat down at the piano and I played him about six or seven songs. I didn't say anything and then I finished that and I said, look, that's what it's like he just opened his diary and he said, well, how's October 14 for you? So it was sort of like an affirmation that there was something there. But then I worked with Wayne and I also thought, well, look, you know, I have such a closed mind to so many things. Why don't I just open up to his way of working? And often he would drive me through a bunch of takes and he had a feeling like the best thing came out of that. And there's still a part of me which thinks, uh, you know, a lot of stuff gets lost that way. And then I was making this album and because the first plan was to go to France and record in Antoine, who's the guitarist, he's got a studio. And I was going to get Antoine, Natasha, Nick in the studio with me. We'd have like two or three weeks. We'd just go bang, 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 do a bunch of songs. Then I was going to Berlin. I was going to mix them with Victor Van Voot, who worked on the First Apartments album, who's done a bunch of stuff since, like The Bad Seeds and PJ Harvey. So that was the plan. So those guys said, well, you know, it's not, very productive if you're just going to turn up here and land 10 songs on us, you know, the day that you arrive and expect us to get them happening. thought that was fair enough. So I did two demos. And while I was doing the demos, it it sort of reignited my feeling for doing demos, which is you're discovering it. And then I finished the demos and I thought, actually, you know what? I don't want to demo this album and I don't want to demo these songs. I want to record these songs and I may not even record the things that I thought I was going to record. So that's when I started changing my approach and I got onto Tim, who actually lives nearby and who produced the album. And with him, it was definitely first or second take. He wasn't going to push me. You know, because he knew that that was my ambition there, you know, to do it in that way.
1: But you said the other musicians remotely sent in all their tracks, so you couldn't really control what sort of ideology they were using when recording. They could have it note-to-note perfect. For all I know, Natasha spent
2: 400 hours doing her vocals. And and I'm sure Antoine, because Antoine is a producer himself, so I'm sure he would have mucked around a bit with his stuff. But yeah, that's not how it worked for me, and for instance, like the track we talked through Till Dawn, I recorded that with Chris Abrahams, Chris's piano player with The Necks. He has played with me a lot. Well, in the past, he was on Life Full of Farewells. He was on Apart, and he knows what I'm like. And on Life Full of Farewells, we recorded a track, which is called She Sings to Forget You. And how we were doing that was it was a really good studio and had a grand piano and has Steinway. So, you know, to hear him on the Steinway was fantastic. He played it once and he said, look, I'm not sure I've got the feel, you know, it's so much better when I had you singing with me. And I said, oh, okay, well, look, we, we could try that. And then the engineer set it up so that I could stand there next to him and sing and he said, oh, we'll get this down anyway, you know, we'll see what comes out of it. And then we recorded it. Once and Chris said, Oh, I played too much. And I said, it sounds pretty good to me. And he said, can we just do it one more time? And I said, yeah. Okay. So then we did it and I went back into the control room and I said to the producer, so was that okay? I can do another vocal if you want me to. And he goes, why would you do that? You know, like it was there. So it was that sort of thing that I wanted to do. I just wanted to do something completely fresh. And with that track, again, with Chris, I just recorded it live. I was standing next to him at the piano.
1: Yeah, as long as there's not any any weird bleeding between the mics. Tim was able to control it.
2: And, you know, it worked for us. Just The chemistry between Chris and I is good enough so that that's how it goes. And we also did a live version of The Fading Light. That's the final song on the album. And that worked
1: let me ask one more question about this one before we move to where you used to be. So the backing vocals here, in terms of what you just said, those are your band members doing those or those are you doing those? Cause they kind of sound like the whole band is live looking at each other. You know, in other words, they're, they're a little sloppy <laughs> in a good way. That's a beautiful illusion. And um, <laughs> yeah, you've got to cling to your,
2: your illusions about them. We're nothing. Well, Elliot, who's the bass player. He wasn't there at the time, but he's got a beautiful voice. He's like a pure singer. He's one of those people that you just hear his his voice and, you know, you just love it. I'm obviously not that kind of singer. And Natasha also has a kind of beautiful voice. Elliot just came in and did his bits and Natasha did hers in Leo and it all worked. These people know me. They know that perfection's not really my friend. And I'm glad that it sounds like we were actually a coherent band.
1: (laughs) Well, let's get the second song out there. You know, slightly different instrumentation, different mood a little bit on this one. Uh, Where you used to be. Do you have a couple words to say about that before we hear it? And then we'll talk in more detail.
2: I took my kids to Europe in 2015 and I heard these bells in Barcelona and I had that lick, just the bells, and I'm sure I never got it right. But anyway, you know, so I had that lick floating around in my head for years and finally I just sat down at the piano and the lick led to the rest of the song so it could have been called the Belts of Barcelona but you know that's not where we ended up.
1: Yeah, so this is one that kind of sounds like it could have a full string section on it, like something off of one of your 90s albums. Are you just playing piano on this, or did you end up putting the guitar on as well? There's an acoustic on it as well. I guess there's nothing about that piano lick. It doesn't suggest that it's going to be in six eight. It's a slow swing.
2: We set the whole thing up on that lick, actually, because Nick was in London and was going to do some drumming. We didn't want to use a click track, but we had that lick running all the way through, so it kind of was the cement for the rest of the song. And see, the, you know, the other thing was that when I went into this album, I'd recorded No Song No Spell, No magical, like in the way that you record an album, the bass and the drums go down. In fact, the bass, drums and piano went down and then everything goes on top of it. Whereas like sometimes I've recorded in the past and I haven't done that. And, you know, like that track that I did with Chris, She Sings to Forget You, Mr. Somewhere, which is on the first Apartments album. They were things where I just had my idea for the song and everything else floated in out of the ether and then it became the song. It wasn't like everything must be landlocked almost by bass and drums. So I wanted songs that, worked in a different way. And I wanted the recording to work in a different way. I think that's one of the distinctive things about it is that it's not just, here's the bass and the drums and like everything is almost like decoration on top of it. It's been done in a different way. And it was almost more impressionistic. I would just think of a thing, I'd run it past Tim, you know, it could be just a lick or a hook or something and ask him what he thought of it. And if he thought it was any good, well, we'd put that down. And then there's, a, you know, there's another brush stroke and then gradually the thing emerges from there. You don't start with, okay, let's get bass and drums down, you know.
1: Yeah, well, and, and maybe that explains the bass is a little more active on this song than on the previous and then I would expect that it sort of takes up a little bit of a lead spot on at least in some parts of it.
2: Yeah, he's a beautiful bass player. I really do love his bass playing. And I've played with him since he was 18. So, you know, we've got a long history of working together. And yeah, he's just like a phenomenal musician. You know, one of these guys, that, like you're driving along and you hear a song and then you'll end up at the studio and he'll sit down and you play it on the piano. You know, what like he's got a phenomenal
1: ear. In fact, let me play this. I had written down, it sounds like there's a lead bass and a and a background bass, but maybe there's a guitar. So those harmonics, are those guitar or bass? That was, again, like
2: just, you know, a little thing that happened in the studio. I was just playing them. And to me, it may just be me, but to me, they sound like horn lines, you know. I was getting Miro in, who's the horn player I've worked with for a long time as well. Like he played on Fet in 1996. And he's a... Just a beautiful player. He also played on No Song, No Spell, No Madrigal. He's one of these guys like in his 60s now and he's been playing since he was like a child, Czechoslovakian guy. So he's got this kind of Central European melancholy about anything that he touches and he's just one of these guys that, you know, he'll play something and your jaw drops. He's just a beautiful player. But the harmonics were working so well that I thought, I'm not going to ask Miro to play this, I'll just use what I've got, which is the harmonics on the guitar uh, doing that.
1: Da-da. For something that's done remotely with no direction, the intros of both these songs that we played so far sound very choreographed, which I guess it could just be one player playing off whatever the previous one who overdubbed a part did. But it sounds like, okay, we're now going to have the drum and bass come in. Like in the first song, it's Half a measure before the refrain starts or something. It starts in a weird spot. Well, I probably didn't have any say in that. I enjoyed it a lot, but although that's, that is the kind of thing that you can fake in the mixing. In fact, usually it's my, the engineer that suggests that. Wouldn't it be cool if we just fade everything in at beat three? You know, well, I do like fade ups as well. And I also
2: love fade outs. You know, like I'm a child of the sixties. So, you know, the fade out was like Dusty Springfield, the Walker brothers, you know, like. There's a guy here in Australia called Normie Rowe and he did phenomenal,
1: huge
2: ballads with often the fade out was longer than the song, you know.
1: (laughs) Well, this one has an interesting ending. It doesn't fade out, but it has this lead guitar lick That little arpeggiation, like it sounds like it's going to end, but it doesn't. It keeps going. But then actually the third time it happens, it does end with that. Like, okay, I was not wrong. That is the announcement of the end. It just fakes you out a couple times. Yeah.
2: You know what it's like. Sometimes you think these things through and sometimes like the best parts are just like the accidents. And we did get lucky. We had some good lucky accidents.
1: Well, let's look back to a different time, a different production environment to Fête for Rain, How do you actually pronounce that? that album?
2: that's right that's exactly right
1: yeah sunset hotel 1996 often i record
2: something and then how the song should really sound occurs to me about a year or two later and i like to revisit things so when i did fed for rain it was just before i was going to record a new album and i just wanted to get a bunch of things down that were songs i'd already recorded but I had approached them with a different feeling and with this one I just wanted the piano and a little bit of horn in it and just slightly different feel to the evening visits recording of it because I was never that wild about the evening visits recording of this track. I thought I'd done a pretty good demo of it. In fact, I thought the demo was better than the final evening visits recording. So that's why I approached it for Fit for
3: My son's hotel is covered in Spanish bars well, I'll go and hide it And so much has changed I can score I could never stay clear Act like a child It's like a love long-
1: Right. This is the one that is straightforwardly in 6-8. The Norwegian wood. I'm trying to remember its context in the album. The other ones were not as overtly acoustic, right? That this one, the acoustic is right in your face in that Norwegian wood sort of way. You got this really interesting chord progression in the intro, and then it shifts to a totally new key for the actual, when the (laughs) lyrics come in. What was the order of operations, do you recall, with this one? Was it as we hear it? I was quite willful with that,
2: because this I would have done in, probably wrote it around 83, 84. I was quite willful about wanting to, you know, have the verse related to the course. I don't really understand what I'm doing there, but I knew that I'd moved it into a different territory, and like the verses are C minor, E minor, and, and F, and, you know, that kind of works. But yeah, that was willful. It's kind of suggested itself. I also, at the same time, wanted something different for the verses.
1: The refrain here is this "shalala," which is a strange thing to kind of declare in a Spanish trumpet-laden way. Not "shalala, la, la, la." You know, I would blame the Shirelles uh, for that, <laughs> or, or maybe Lou, Street
2: Hassle, or <laughs> something like that. I've always loved. Shalala's, the first apartments we used to do, Pretty Flamingo by Manfred Mann, that Manfred Mann had a Shalala song, which was actually just called Shalala. I could play all those, anything with the Shalala in it, I could, I could play a lot, you know.
1: Was it a sad Shalala? I, I don't think I've heard a, a sad Shalala in a song before. <laughs> I-
2: <laughs> no, my babas are uh, sad. My Shalalas are triumphs. No, I really don't know. The Shalalas were, uh, I think it was because I just wanted a motif, some sort of melodic motif for that part of the song to go back to where it was. You know, the the Sunset Hotel was sort of my feeling about this place that I used to stay in in Darlinghurst, which is sort of downtown. Sydney. And around about that time, heroin had crept into everyone's lives. I'd moved to New York and I moved to Berlin and I moved to Paris and I would find sunset hotels wherever I went. You know, It was sort of like, oh, this is the world that I now live in. It was just that particular period of time. So I kind of had a feeling about this place where people's lives are going wrong and they weren't going to save anything either. I thought at first it might have been called The House That a Heroin Built, <laughs> but uh, I didn't want to give too much away.
1: Aren't you haunted enough? You're too young for ghosts, so you're kind of addressing the people in this state of decay rather than it being another self-pity song or something like that.
2: How so many people disappeared, you know, in that life? And I used to think we're too young for ghosts, but of course, you know, you're never too young for ghosts. You know, I didn't realize it at the time. Even I think where you used to be, At one point I'm saying, are are you listening? There's a hole in the world where you used to be. And I just had this feeling of like, again, it was twilight, believe it or not. And there's a park down the road from where I live. And I used to take the kids there when they were little. And there was this gathering there in the park, in the pavilion. And I heard Patsy Cline. Someone was playing Patsy Cline, you know, on a portable speaker. Because it's like, I go to pieces And it's such a powerful song to hear in that atmosphere too, you know, like the evening in the park and it's children. And I just thought, you have no idea what's coming. The feeling of that song was the air was filled with ghosts as well, which is not a connection I would have made unless you
1: (laughs) you just asked me about Sunset Hotel,
2: but it just occurred to me then.
1: At least in Sunset Hotel that it's less helplessness. I mean, in where you used to be, there's this, I don't have any goals, but I do have wishes, which sounds like there are things that I want. I just can't really do anything about them. Where here, at least you play with the idea. Could I say something at last? Oh, not me. I just ruin. I guess there's a little self-pity thrown in at the end, or at least I can't help these people. Well, look, I also stole a line there, which I'm happy to admit
2: now, but I would probably never have said before, but Malcolm Lowry who wrote Under the Volcano, which I really loved that when I was about in my early twenties. I loved that novel. It's like one of these classic novels. It's like Mrs. Dalloway or Ulysses. It's told in the space of 24 hours. And during that 24 hours, this guy just declines and dies. <laughs> and Malcolm Lowry, who wrote that, used to close his letters to people with SAVE LOVE in capital letters. And I just thought that's the most beautiful thing to say in the midst of this ruined life. Save love. Try and do something.
1: So just the arrangement, we were saying there's a little more structured in terms of the production or this was your preferred method where Given that it was so old, had you played this live with the band before recording this?
2: I'd played it live, but I hadn't played it with Chris and I hadn't played it with Miro because that recording is just me on acoustic guitar, Chris on piano, and Miro playing flugelhorn. There might be some tambourine on it, but it's just bare bones acoustic. And I also liked the idea that I could have the song out there and see if people respond to it when it's stripped
1: I will refer folks, it was good to see this 2018 live version, live in Lyon, I guess, where it is just three of you live, in fact, with no trumpets, a melodica instead of the trumpet. Even though it doesn't have the nice trumpet vibrato, it works pretty well, you know, because it's purposefully spare in that way.
2: Yeah, well, Natasha can play lots of things. She plays all the keyboards and she can play the melodica and she's got a beautiful voice. And, you know, that's one of the good things about working with them because they're a lot younger than me. And I met them, they were Apartments fans, both Natasha and Antoine. And when we would do set lists, I did a couple of tours with them just as a trio in 2016 and 2018. And, each time I'd say, there's some songs that we have to do because people really want them and, you know, that's part of the deal. But I said, you know, I'm happy to do anything. And they would suggest songs to me and I said, yeah, sure. You know, like I don't think anybody would be interested in that song and, and they go, let's do that song. And then we do it and I would discover that people just loved the song. So- <laughs> So it's kind of a good perspective for me. Like we did two songs from Life Full of Farewells. One was End of Some Fear and the other one was All the Time in the World. And I just didn't think anybody would be interested in those songs. And they said, no, don't, just trust us. Let's do them. So we rehearsed them and then we do them. And yeah, they went down phenomenally. So why I mentioned that is that Natasha would do things on melodica that were traditionally done on trumpet, but it would
1: still work. This is sort of related to a question I meant to ask you, that since you're the only consistent member in this band throughout the years, and you even said the first band, none of those people, right? Carried over from the 70s band to the 80s band?
2: No, the first band was really 12 months.
1: Why even keep the name? is there a business reason for it, or you just didn't want to have solo albums because that's so strange to put your own name up front? <laughs> I do feel like every album I
2: make is a band album, simply because I do think players bring colors to it that I wouldn't... It's the personality of their playing that makes the final thing. Like when I made Drift, I just got together a guitarist who I liked, a bass player that I liked and a drummer that I liked, and I didn't dictate anything. I just said, let's just do this. And I feel like everything is by the apartments and it's whoever the apartments is. I happen to be the one surviving
1: (laughs) But usually at least establishes a sound so that if you're going to get a new bass player, they've heard the old songs. Did you make some sort of radical changes while you are You added the horns at some point, right? I mean, I would always have
2: loved to have had horns, but everything has so completely changed. When I first started, studios were this fiercely expensive, intimidating thing. And always the engineer was like completely condescending and didn't understand what you were on about. And I really didn't like going into studios. I just didn't like the whole process of recording. So, of course, you know, I've got so many lost years of songs in that respect, but it's just a different world now. I mean, studios are not expensive anymore. And and I could go into this studio, for instance, with Tim to work on this album and just be cool about the fact that, you know, we didn't have, okay, our two days of bass and drums done, now next, you know, blah, blah, blah. It was just like, okay, if this works, it works, and if it doesn't work, well, it's like that, just a different feeling. And I do think that it worked in favour of the album because I just had that kind of, okay, this is just going to be an impressionistic thing. It's not going to be the standard assembly line of recording.
1: See, I don't remember what era this was exactly, but R.E.M. going into the studio and they would say, like, you know, we'd fool around, we'd try something, and if it wasn't working, we'd just leave. We'd all just go to lunch. There seemed to be such a, this is definitely in the 80s or early 90s at best, when studios were as intimidating as you're talking about. And you either have to have a hell of a lot of label backing to just not, "Eh, maybe it'll work, or maybe we'll just blow seven hours that we paid for, or you just have to really not give a crap. You just...
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, also I think like R.E.M., that's definitely a band where everything arose out of the four people being in the room at the one time and just coming up with something from nothing. You know, you've got Buck and Mills, both infinitely melodic players. You know, Stipe can just do any melody that's floating around the room. Stipe can just pull it down and then load it up with some lyrics. And Bill on drums, you know, that was like a band. And of of course, they kept the band together as well, which is a lesson for a lot of bands. They kept the band together as well by having, you know, four-part publishing splits. So the band just survived in a way that some bands don't. And they are bands that draw up their material entirely from the four people in the room at the one time. Those people are making the song. It's not a songwriter.
1: Even though you're working under a band name, you did not do that, so you're not still paying folks for work from 20 years ago. I've always had the melody and the lyrics, which are kind of like the things and, you know, I've the copyrightable material. Yes.
2: <laughs> yes. And sometimes I've said to like with this album, you know, again, you know, Nick, the London drummer, with that track where you used to be, I said, "Look, this is just Hal Blaine territory, you know, like dum dum, you know, on a kettle drum or some dramatic snare, you know, some tidal snare rolls, you know, that sort of thing." He knows that world of pet sounds as well as anybody
1: else. Were there any rejected parts for this new album? Since you're working remotely, that you get a drum part and you're like, uh, "Yeah, this is not, it's not what I had in mind." With "What's
2: Beauty to Do," I just had. That in mine is just a really like straight four on the floor. This could be like Sonic Youth in 1994, you know, Steve Shelley or something like that, just very straight. And Nick's like Juilliard College, you know, he's like a super musician, another guy with perfect pitch and a great ear. And he came back with something which was more of a shuffle and I just thought,
0: "Mm, no,
2: that's not, this has got to be straight. That's a drummer here, Nick kennedy who plays in the same band as tim the producer so that was very straightforward and he came in and you know and that's bloodstream with him like you know if you say steve Shelley, you know he goes yep got it straight away and how long will this take to record well the track's three and a half minutes okay well the track is he's finished his recording in three and a half minutes
1: well let's wrap up here by just introducing the last thing, which is looking for another town. I wanted a song from that No Song, No Spell, No Magical two thousand fifteen album that you were saying was the relatively extensively produced compared to what you usually do. Of course, this album is so full of your personal experiences, I will refer folks to articles on that, but you know, it's just an emotionally wrenching album and I, I think the production helps. I don't think it would have you know, if it had been made as a a Sid Barrett despair kind of sloppiness. Like, I don't know that it would have helped. I'm really pleased with the production and
2: and it did make me stretch my wings as well. Like the title track, I had that worked out. I played piano and I don't play piano very well, but it was well enough to get the feel of the track down. So we had the piano, we had the bass and the drums and I'm writing the lyrics at the same time. Well, I had lots of lyrics lying around, but I was just trying to work out, you know, how is this going to go? And with Wayne, we were getting toward the end of everything. And he says, you know, have you finished that lyric? And I said, well, look, you know, I know what it is. Like a voiceover in film noir, you know, it kind of starts out in the rain, it ends in the rain, and the guy changes over the course of the song. So it was a really good thing for me to do because it just showed me that I could do that. I could be making things up as I went along. And it would still work. So I felt like when I went into this album, I would do more along those lines. I would work along the lines that we established, that Wayne established with me on No Song, No Spell, No Madrigal, the song, not so much the album. And also, I did not want to go in and try and capture the past. Those songs that were on that album, I had sat at the piano for years. I wrote Swap Places in 1999 and I had the horn lines. I had all the parts in my head and then I'm going in and I'm trying to see if I can get what I have in my head already down on tape. So ironically, it's probably relevant to that album, but you're trying to summon up the past. Whereas with this album, I just wanted to go in and have everything fresh and take whatever came to me in the moment so that it it's exactly how things are going for me in 2019 and 2020 as far as it's connected with me. But it was that sort of thing. So it was a really good learning experience for me working on that album. And, yes, I'm certain that you're right. It probably wouldn't have been good to do it in a sloppy way. But, the you know, interestingly, you know, the piano player... That played on that album. Chris wasn't in the country because he was, he was with the Nex on one of his, you know, 500 shows over two years, next tours all over the world. And the piano player, I showed him how I played it on the piano. And I, as I say, I don't really play the piano very well. And he said, this is great. And then when we finished the album, I sent it to him. He said, you know, you could have done that song with just the piano and vocal. And I, I think it would have been just as powerful. So interesting other people's takes on these things.
1: Are there demos from 1999 of some of these songs floating around, you know, they're just cassette. No, they're me playing them onto a cassette. You're talking about writing lyrics for some of this as it was actually being laid down for looking for another town,
2: looking for another town. No, no, it was the track. No song, no spell, no madrigal. I was right. Oh, okay. The title track from that. Okay. Yeah. The title track. No, looking for another town, I had that pretty much worked out. I even remember the first time I played to Elliot, the bass player, he and I were on tour in France. We were doing some shows in 2009 and I was sitting there with my acoustic guitar and I played the bit where the steps go up instead of down and he went out and went to see a a girlfriend somewhere in Paris and he came back and he said, I've had that hook in my head all day. And then I thought, okay, well, that's a song, you know.
1: (laughs) Well, thanks so much for doing this. It was really uh, great to immerse myself in your work for uh, a couple weeks. Yeah, well, thank you. I'm very grateful for the chance to talk to you. All right, here it is, looking for another town.
3: It's an old sky. two When will time and
1: Thanks so much to Peter. His 90s work was already so lush and emotional, and it's so great that he has come back in the last bunch of years with definitely the best music he's ever put out. Learn more at theapartments-music.com. And for more of this podcast, please make sure you are subscribed directly to to the Nakedly Examined Music feed via your favorite podcast app or check nakedlyexaminedmusic.com and while you're at these places like Apple Music, Stitcher, please leave a nice rating and review. That would be very helpful. My next episode is an interview with Mark Bingham, perhaps best known as a producer in New Orleans. Like if you know R.E.M.'s Shiny, Happy People, he did that little string thing at the beginning, but he's recorded some very interesting solo work, some interesting collaborations, and he is now in a Cajun band, so please come back for that. If you want to support this podcast, you can do so at Patreon patreoncom slash nakedly examined music that would be also very helpful i hope you're surviving election season reasonably well very stressful for everyone maybe write a song about it i don't know however you do it keep on music in until next time this is mark linson signing off